Welcome to RV Out West. I'm your host, Brooks. My family of fours base camp is located in the beautiful Pacific Northwest, and our RV adventures radiate out from there. Please grab a mug of coffee and join us as we discuss RVing around the American West. From sweet camping spots, gear and equipment, to tips and tricks, we've got you covered. We are RV Out West. One of the gems of the Washington coast is Cape Disappointment State Park. Located in the southwest corner of Washington State, nestled between the mouth of the Columbia River and the Pacific Ocean, this campground is an easy two-hour drive from Portland, Oregon, or a three-hour drive from Seattle. According to photograph the PacificNorthwest.com, the history of Cape Disappointment is that it is named for Captain John Mears' first thwarted voyage to find the Columbia. Cape Disappointment is steeped in Northwest history. The Cape was named on July 6, 1788 by British fur trader John Mears, who was sailing south from Nootka Island, Canada, in search of trade. He mistook the mouth of the Columbia River to be a bay, which the ship could not enter due to the shallow shoal. Just missing the discovery of the river, he named them Cape Disappointment and Deception Bay. This is the place to explore U.S. military and maritime legacies and to experience the story of Lewis and Clark and the effect of their Corps of Discovery expedition on Native American tribes. Two of the park's most notable features are the two lighthouses, Cape Disappointment Lighthouse and North Head Lighthouse. When the Cape Disappointment Lighthouse was first lit on October 15, 1856, it became the eighth active light on the West Coast. Cape Disappointment State Park is a 2,023-acre camping park on the Long Beach Peninsula, fronted by the Pacific Ocean and looking into the mouth of the Columbia River. The park offers yurts, cabins, and unique historic vacation homes to meet travelers' diverse lodging needs. This state park is one of the most highly sought-after places to camp in the state, so you will want to plan ahead and make your reservations at least six to nine months in advance, depending on when you want to go and how busy that time will be. Cape Disappointment has 137 standard campsites, 50 full hookup sites, 18 partial hookup sites with water and electricity, and five primitive hiker-biker campsites that are first-come, first-serve. It has one dump station, eight restrooms, two of which are ADA, and 14 showers, four that are ADA. Maximum site length is 45 feet with limited availability, and camping is available year-round. For our family, uh, the we decided when we were camping there on spring break to take a campsite that had no hookups. We were there for a week, so we did bring our generator. We filled up on water because they do have potable water there. One of the benefits of the no hookup sites is that you will be located closer to the beach, and some sites have views from the campsite of the ocean, so you're going to want to choose wisely. This campground, for the most part, is flat, and it's great for easy biking and fun to go explore different campground loops in the evening, say hi to other fellow campers. There also is a store with a fresh group of ice cream that's typically opened in the summer, and so you can bike. It's a bit of a bike, but you can easily bike from the campground to the store to go get a, a scoop of ice cream. One downfall is that there are no bike lanes on the main road. Now, granted, the speed limit on that road is, I think, 15 miles an hour, but it is tight. There is no shoulder. So um, you'll just want to be, you know, aware as you, as you're biking that way. The dump station and potable water in the state park are clean. It's easy, great access. Midweek, I did need to quickly hook up our trailer and go dump our tanks and refill back up with potable water. And it really wasn't that big of a camp chore. 
So that's something to keep in mind if you decide not to do a full hookup site. One of the amazing things about this campground too is there's a ton of driftwood and so there's a lot of like driftwood forts, there's trees and all these cool rocks that the kids were climbing. The kids had a blast exploring the campground. There's just so much kind of fun things to go and see and explore even within the campground. I will say that there is zero, I repeat zero, cell service in the state park and in the campground, which can be perfect if you're looking to unplug on your next trip or your next vacation. But if you are a remote worker and finding cell coverage is important because you were planning to work from the campsite, you will not be able to work from this campground. But I will talk about what solutions look like there here a little later on in this episode. The ocean here is no joke. It is beautiful and violent all at the same time with often super strong currents and sneaker waves. So enjoy the beauty, but I wouldn't swim. Plus, it's just super cold all the time, so there's that. But we had a wonderful time. The kids were making sandcastles on the beach. Uh, we went and watched the sunset one evening and made some images and the kids were playing. My daughter is in cheer, so she was doing a bunch of cartwheels and gymnastic moves on this nice sandy beach, a stone's throw from our campsite. So we had really great access to the beach from our campsite. There is a lot of things to do in this area. There are some great family-friendly hikes in the state park to go see the lighthouses. There's beach combing. Kite flying is really, really big in this area. And it's just a beautiful area also for those uh, photographers who like to make images. The town of Long Beach is only about a 10-minute drive north from the state park. And then you'll have the city of Astoria, Oregon, about 30 miles to the south. If you are interested in knowing what are some fun things to see and do in Astoria, Oregon, please go listen to The Pit Stop in episode number 7. One of the big destinations, and it was a must on our list to do, was Scoopers. Scoopers is the place to go get ice cream, but even during spring break, we did wait almost an hour to get our scoops. I can only imagine what the lines are like on a hot summer day, so just plan accordingly. Take a drive to the northern tip of the Long Beach Peninsula and check out the quaint hamlet of Oysterville. It seems unmarred by time. Ledbetter State Park on the northern tip of the peninsula is another great park to explore and easy for an easy day trip. I would say from Cape Disappointment State Park to Ledbetter State Park is a half hour drive, give or take. So there's a whole other park you can go and explore. So if you just have, you'll need a Discovery Pass, which is $10 a day or $30 annually. Kites are big in this area. There's lots and lots of wind. So check out the Kite Flying Museum in Long Beach. Bring a kite or buy a kite at any of the local kite shops. The Washington State International Kite Festival is also the third week in August in Long Beach. I have never been. I have heard amazing things about this festival, and it is on my list of things to go and see and do. I just haven't gotten around to making that happen yet. But we did go to the beach um, and fly our kites. Speaking of the beaches, something unique that you can do in Washington State, which I've never seen anywhere else on any coasts, is that you're able to drive on our beaches. So if the sun's out and it's a beautiful day, I would highly recommend that you pack a picnic and drive up and down the beach to find a spot to make yours for a picnic. It'd be a great spot then to go ahead and fly that new kite, 
But again, don't get too close to the water as our tidal changes are big and people do get stuck more often than you'd think on the beach and an extraction for your vehicle is not cheap. So just be aware and be smart if you decide to drive on the beach. Another great thing you can do on the beach is clamming. So depending on the season and the time of year, you could be able to go out and participate in a razor clam dig and find some fresh clams to bring back to your campsite for dinner. But just be sure to check the Washington State Department fishing game for the season and the regulations, and you will make sure you want to have a license. Adrift Distillers, a craft distillery in Long Beach, Washington, that specializes in using the finest ingredients the state has to offer. This was a great spot. I didn't even know it existed. I just drove by and veered into the parking lot. They made some amazing local spirits from, they had a, a bourbon barrel aged, or it was a gin, excuse me, it was a gin uh, aged in a bourbon barrel. And they had vodka, they had uh, unaged whiskey, aka moonshine, they had a really nice uh, whiskey as well. And then they had a bunch of great aperitifs. So if you're looking to find a little something you maybe want to nip or sip on around a campfire, uh, check out Adrift Distillers and pick yourself up a great little bottle of something. Now, I had talked about for the remote workers, and as I had previously mentioned, there is zero cell reception in the campground. The town of Iwako is just outside of the park, and there is a great family-owned coffee shop there called The Ebb. This was my oasis the week that we were there. I just went out of camp, and basically they let me post up for about eight hours a day that they were open, and they didn't mind, and they were super friendly. First couple of days, I hadn't learned of the Ebb yet, so I did go to the local library and sit there for a couple hours. I also took my Verizon hotspot, my jetpack, and worked from my truck parked on the beach, so I'm in my truck looking out of the Pacific Ocean working from my truck. Two other little fun things to note, little treasures that I found in the town of El Waco. There is a record store. So if you're looking for records, uh, find the record store. If you fly fish, there is a great fly shop there as well that I would recommend you check out. And they can give you um, help getting you pointed in the direction to go do some saltwater fly fishing. On this trip, I revisited journaling, which is something that I've done off and on with no consistency basically my entire adult life. I'd like to share one of my journal entries with you. Many tout the benefits of Cape Disappointment State Park beyond its beauty is the fact that it's a dead zone. No cell coverage. Zip. Nada. It's a force to unplug, decompress, enjoy family, and turn inward without the exterior view of our social media society. It is liberating when your phone becomes literally useless. I haven't even reached for it to see what time it is. I don't care. This is a frozen collection of moments in time that generate those memories that will last a lifetime. I feel inspired right now. Perhaps the pitter-patter of the raindrops on the roof of the camper, or the distant thunder of the turbulent Pacific Ocean as the barometric pressure drops with the predicted storm that is arriving this evening. I took a walk on the beach with the children earlier today. I brought my camera and watched them play. I made images of the ocean, the beach, and of them. I wanted to write and put these thoughts down on paper. This act is a luxury that normal life doesn't typically allow for. Cape Disappointment State Park is a treasure in our state park systems, with so much fun to be had just in the campground, and if you're willing to drive for a little adventure, the possibilities are limitless. 
If you're considering planning a trip to this part of the state, you will want to plan ahead so you can book the campsite that you want when you want to go. For more information or to book a reservation, you'll want to visit parks.wa.gov. It's time for our pit stop. And in today's pit stop, we are going to be talking about generators. My good friend Tim joins me today as we sit around a picnic table at a campground and we have a quick little chat about generators. You may remember Tim and his wife Rahana from a few episodes ago when they shared with us about their cross-country trip from Seattle area to Florida. So thanks Tim for joining me. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here, Brooks. But Tim, uh, tell me a little bit about well, why you decided to go with a generator and then uh, how you sized it appropriate for your trailer. Well, I uh, knew that I wanted to boondock camp. And we knew that our family used electronics at nighttime before going to bed and might need to use a microwave or something like that. So we thought we needed to have more power than just the 190-watt solar panel. So I did a lot of research, and I found out the, the my big problem is running the AC. So if we wanted to camp off the grid with AC air conditioning, that we were going to need a lot of power because whenever the AC starts up, it requires a lot of energy. So I had to find out how much wattage and amperage my AC used, and then I had to determine what kind of generator I could get away with. You should know your your AC unit yep. is, I think, 3,000 uh, BTU. Mine is 15,000 No, I think BTU. it's 13. I think mine's 13. Yeah, that's what I said, didn't You said I? three. You just said three. Oh, uh, it's okay. 13... And mine is 15, mm-hmm. so uh, mine requires more starting power, but it doesn't really require much to run. Right. So if I I could I, I looked up to confirm what it's called. It's called a soft start. Yep. It's a capacitor basically, and it stores energy. And then whenever you need it, it takes from that. So you probably could get by with like a 2,000 watt generator because that would right. do the start. The problem is, is whenever you're running uh, the AC and then you go to put on something the, else, yeah, like the microwave or your wife wants to use a hair dryer or a curling iron or something, it's going to use. I want to fire up the coffee pot. It's going to require. Things. You're right. Right. Um, I will say I found that the break-in period. I uh, did the break-in period on mine, and it actually wasn't too terrible. I ran it for the initial first, uh, I think, five hours, and then did an oil change. And then ran it again for another 10 hours and did another oil change. We took it for our week down to Cape Disappointment and used it for a week and had zero problems with it. And I was blown away at how quiet quiet it was. Especially, uh, it got really stormy and windy down there. So it was nice to be able to have the power because we did kind of tuck in at night and watch a movie when it got really, really bad. But... um, it was quiet, and I was really impressed. I did not go with the dual fuel, though, so I'm only running uh, gasoline. So I got the the dual fuel. We have the same generator, and I haven't broken it in yet. But I'm looking forward to being able to just plugging it into the side of the camper and not having to carry fuel. Because mm-hmm. uh, we, we, we traveled across country last year with two generators, and then the fuel and... It would spill if we had a bump or something, and the whole bed of the truck always smelled like gas. It wasn't a really good choice. Did you use your generators on that trip? <laughs> so we, we, we dragged two 2,500-watt generators to Florida 
and back. And the only time we used it was when we got to Badlands. Yep. And ran it for about an hour. And then my wife asked, don't you want to see some wildlife? And I said, yeah, that'd be awesome. She's like, well, then turn the generators off. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so we didn't really use them. <clears throat> that makes sense. Um, what advice would you have for somebody who maybe is in the market looking to add a generator setup to their RV or a camper? So if I were really trying to save on space and also cost, I might invest in a soft start for the AC and get a smaller generator, knowing that I'm hardly ever going to need this on a cross-country trip. But living here in Washington, if we go out to the peninsula, there's going to be several places that we could boondock, and we're going to be the only ones there, and I wouldn't really have a problem running my generator. Yeah, okay, I would agree. Um, I would say all in all, I also was worried about the heft. I think mine is a 4,600-something, 4,600-watt generator, and I was a little worried about the heft and the weight of being able to single-handedly get it up into the bed of my truck. And I want to say it's about 100 pounds, 95 pounds I think it is, and I was able to kind of properly deadlift it and then almost kind of do like a clean and jerk to kind of pop the hips to get that last little bit up and over the tailgate and I've been okay thus far. So I was in the same boat as you. I had that exact same generator and it was good. But when I switched it and got the dual fuel full dual fuel instead, it was about 10 pounds heavier and it's almost to that point where I almost can't do that by myself. Okay. So if I'm out with the wife and I hurt my back, it's going to be a hard time for us to get the generator back into the truck. So I've, I'm considering leaving the generator in the bed of the truck. Yeah, I've seen people doing that where they just leave it in the bed of the truck and run it off the bed of the truck. And on our cross-country drive when we're doing the boondocking, that is my plan to at least try and do that. Uh, you know, I'd pull it out of the bed of the truck on longer boondocking trips. But if I'm just doing a quick overnight, I'll leave it in the bed of the truck probably. I think I'm going to get some sort of like uh, those Python uh, master locks so I can chain it around to the loop I got in the bed. That's I did that and I ran, I used a bike lock, a big long cable bike lock yeah. and just locked it up inside of my bed of my truck. Well, Tim, anything else that you think we need to add to topic um, of generators? No, I, I, I uh, just do your research, make sure that you try and figure out what you're going to use at one time. Yeah, and then just kind of plan accordingly. That's right, and then figure out your wattage and don't really get anything more powerful than that. Cool. Well, there you have it, folks. Tim, thank you so much for joining me today for The Pit Stop. I really appreciate it. Yeah, happy to be here. In our next episode in two weeks, I'm going to address what it means to be a weekend warrior, how you can plan your trips for success and to make your weekend trips more fun with less work, less packing. If you're looking for more ways to use your RV and think weekend trips are just daunting and full of work, you're going to want to give this episode a listen. In the meantime, please be sure to share with your friends and family about this podcast and head over to Apple, Spotify, or Amazon Podcasts and leave this show a rating and a review. If you've not yet subscribed to the show, please do so. That way you'll never miss an episode. If you have an idea for a topic you'd like me to discuss, please contact me at rv.out.west at gmail.com. Now, get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon. Thanks so much for listening to RV Out West. Join us again in two weeks with our next episode. 
Please like and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you choose to get your podcast so you never miss an episode. And I sure would appreciate if you left a rating or a review of the show. Special thanks to Scott Holmes Music for providing the intro song, We Are One. RV Out West can be found on Instagram and Facebook where you can interact with us and follow along on our RV adventures around the Pacific Northwest. So get out there, explore, and go see what's beyond the horizon.